rejoice in the Lord always? I guess you got to say it again. Rejoice, right? You may be seated. At least Paul thought so. Thought you had to tell the Philippians, rejoice. And just in case you missed the message, I'll say it again. Rejoice. What's there to rejoice about? What is there to be glad and be sing? Well, God is a God of promise and God is a God of fulfillment. He makes promises to us and he keeps those promises. He promises to speak and he speaks in Jesus Christ. His last word and greatest word has been given to us. He promises to provide for us. Not always in the way we do it, but in God's way and in God's plan and in God's uh, work, he does it. And many times, and we saw last week, it's through you. It's through people. God's a God of means. He rarely does miracles. That's why they're miracles. It's mostly he works through people. And he, he fulfills our needs and what we need to do. And today we want to look at that God will prevail. Even when it looks like he might have fallen asleep at the switch or when he's forgotten a promise that maybe he made long ago. God says he's a God who makes a promise and that promise will prevail. You can trust him. You can trust him. We all live based on trust. You drove trusting that everybody would drive on the right side of the road, didn't you? And thank the Lord that happens. We, tr we uh, go to the store and we pick up food out of uh, the display, trusting that we will pay for that food uh, at, the, at whatever price that it is, trusting that it's good food and that's, uh, that it's good to eat and um, healthy. We trust each other. We make promises to one another. Can you think of some of the promises you've made to one another? If you're married, you made a promise in sickness and in health, for rich or for poor, until death do us part. You made that promise. When you were baptized, people made promises for you that you would grow up in the, uh, coming to the services of God's house to have in your hands the Holy Scriptures and to continue to grow in a faithful life of a, the con of a congregation and in walking with the Lord. When you were confirmed, you made that promise for yourself. You said, yeah, I still believe this stuff. I'm checking in. This is the stuff I believe. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. God help me. And God says, what he begins in you, he'll bring to conclusion. Trust God. It's easy on one level to say, isn't it? We know that. We trust God. He's God. And when his eyes are on us, when we can see that he's uh, working, we can give assent to it. But there's oftentimes, sometimes, in the dark recesses of our heart, maybe not everybody, but I'm assuming pretty much everybody, because it happens to me, there's little questions that come up. Is this really going to be the way it is? Years ago, the confessions of Mother Teresa were published. Remember Mother Teresa? Uh, great uh, servant, lived her life serving the poor of India. Uh, and became an advocate for them. People thought, well, if there's a rock star Christian, that's, that's her. 
She wrote about her moments of doubting God and her secret dark nights. And people were surprised. How could Mother Teresa have them? Well, it's called being human. And today we bump into John the Baptist who sends disciples, two disciples, either because of them or because of his own uh, questions that he said, um, are you the Messiah? Or do we need to look for somebody else? You see, if faith is the assurance of things hoped for, which it is, and the evidence of things not seen, trust is jumping into that assurance with every aspect of our lives. And yet there are times that sometimes when we waver in that. And never one to shy away from exactly what he was thinking. John the Baptist preached boldly. He clearly said who the ruler of the, of the land was, and it wasn't the king, Herod, to whom heard him. And he actually said, Herod, you know, marriage is between one man and one woman, and you're living with your brother-in-law's wife. God doesn't approve of that. Now, Herod himself heard that message, and he respected John. It's fascinating when you read a little bit more deeply. In Mark chapter 6, uh, we read this about Herod. For Herod feared John. He knew he was a prophetic voice. He feared God, John, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man, and he kept him safe. And you're going to wonder, why would he have to keep him safe? Well, there was a reason. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. It's a very fascinated word for perplexed. He was drawn to it, but it also troubled him. He liked hearing of God, but God was messing with his head, right? He was messing with his heart, and he didn't know what to do. He was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. John didn't, or Herod didn't appreciate the publicity, and we know that eventually uh, he and his wife had him put into prison and thrown into a dungeon. Um, kind of a cool place. If you want to do a Google search, look up Machiris. This is a fascinating building enterprise of his, this Herod's father, the great King Herod, but uh, John was put into prison there. And from that prison, he asked a question. And we saw it in our Gospels. It's included in all Matthew and Mark as well. He sends two of them. Are you the Christ who is to come, or should we look for another? And with these two disciples, it's either their doubts or John's doubts. We don't really know. But they said, things aren't working here the way we planned. What about it? What do we do? And now, maybe you've come into those kind of situations, and we usually react by blaming. It's somebody else's fault. It's a bad thing that somebody else did for us. It's not, couldn't possibly be, have any reaction to, uh, to what we're doing, so we end up blaming. Trust, or blame really is the other side of trust. Now, there's times for self-examination and even when things don't go, go our way, but when we evade any responsibility for our own consequences, especially in things not going our way, we can 
project that as saying God's not doing his thing. And I'm not saying that's about John. I'm saying that's about us. Remember, this is the same John who, wept in, who leapt in his mother's womb at the entrance of Jesus in his mother's womb and when they met together, the Virgin Mary. That's the same John who saw Jesus coming toward him on the Jordan River and announced for everybody to hear, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the same John who heard God the Father say, this is my beloved Son and who saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descend on Jesus as he emerged from the waters of baptism. And this is the same John who said, I have seen and have borne witness to this. And he's pointing to Jesus as the Son of God. But John's not proclaiming a baptism anymore. He's no longer stirring the crowds and calling religious leaders a brood of vipers or things like that. He's in prison, a dungeon of some sort. And the morals of the King Herod held John captive. His preaching and his baptizing days are over and things aren't going, turning out exactly the way probably John or his disciples expected. We really don't know. We don't, we're not given into a window into the thought process of John. But we do know he did ask the question or he had the question asked. He's hearing a lot about healings and miracles but not about this wrath, not about the chopping down of the axe to the root of the tree that Luke and other writers recorded as his first sermon. Nothing about proclaiming liberty to the captives. And from John's viewpoint, it's hard to see that this evidence of God's promises is being carried out. And what does Jesus answer? Well, in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't really answer the question, at least not directly, does he? He could have said yes or no, but he chose not to. He said, tell John what you see. Even as he was doing these miracles, he had just uh, healed a man in Luke 7, and Luke continues to say, right at that very moment, he was doing more healing, and people whose eyes were blind were, were opened, and he was doing more miracles, and he heals people who have diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And he does exactly what the prophet Isaiah in chapter 35 says. And Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 35, and on Wednesday I'll do a little deeper dive with you into all of this because it's really fascinating what Jesus says and what it says. But this is a messianic promise, the whole chapter of Isaiah 35. And Jesus says, check, 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 check. Take this report back to John. Tell John this, and look at it for yourself. Jesus offers these final words, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. That word is an interesting word, offended there. It's scandalazo, I think you could, don't even have to know Greek to hear it. Blessed is the one who's not scandalized by me. It was the the trip of a trap, you know what I mean by a live trap? When, that, when, a, when the mouse steps on it, you know that little thing that springs the trap? That's what the scandalon was. And Jesus says, blessed is the one who's not scandalized by me. And Paul says it later on when he said, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, that 
uh, word translated stumbling block is scandalized or scandalon. And when Jesus says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me, he's referring to the fact that Jews, especially at his time, were expecting superstar miracles. And as if Jesus wasn't doing enough, they expected more. And they were expecting this political solution to all their problems. And they weren't expecting a humble person who talked to the heart of people, who did heal and perform miracles, but not all the time, who taught a lot more in parables, and who said there's a way of life of following God by taking up your cross and denying yourself. This is the kingdom that he came. And there were people who said, no thanks. That's not what we want. That's not the kind of promise we want fulfilled. And many were offended when Jesus challenged the traditions of the day and said, these traditions, they have a bigger fulfillment than just observing them. There's more to it than that. And, uh, and still others were scandalized when they saw him talking and socializing and even eating with undesirable people that they, taught, they were taught to avoid. And the final scandal came on Good Friday when the man who claimed to be the Son of God was arrested and tried and nailed to a cross like a common criminal. And they said, we're going to trust this? I don't think so. God asks you to trust him even when the signs of abundance are not so clear. Even when there's a, a scarcity of things that are there, except for the promise of God, except for that promise of God, that he will follow through, that he will prevail. And even though you can't see it, trust says, I'm gonna believe that. Trust is saying, I'm all in on that. What about today? You say, God loves us. Okay, God, if you love us, why is this happening? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to go through this struggle? God, you promise your power. Why, do you, why don't you fix this situation? God's justice. How can you let them get away with that, God? Where's your justice? God's return. Will this ever happen in my lifetime, or am I just living a groundhog life day existence of being in the hamster wheel of everything being over and over again? How long will this one take to bring to salvation? We do have our doubts. That's not unbelief. That's something different. But doubt is reminded of God's word and God's promise. It's not our ability to see and it's not our ability to perceive the things of God, but him bringing his word and his promise to the quietness of our heart, to the recesses of our being and our spirit, and say, let me remind you, I'm a God of promise and a God of fulfillment. Trust me, even when you don't see the answer in front of your face, even when it might seem far away, even when your eyes are filled with tears because you're broken in your ways. 
And while you may relate to, are you the one who is to come or should I look for another? God looks for you. And he says, these promises are for you. They're real. And blessed is a person who's not trapped by me. And Jesus sends John's disciples away, and then when, he, when they leave, he turns to the rest of the people and he says a couple of questions to them. And both of the questions are, no. We did not go into the wilderness to see a reed shaking in the wind. There were a lot of those. That's not what we went out to the desert to hear John about. It's not because he had nice soft clothing. You went out to the into the wilderness to hear a word from God. And Jesus says, that's why you went out there. That's what you got. You heard God's word to you, and God delivered his word to you, and God is fulfilling his word to you because John preached the word of God, and he prepared the way. And Jesus is saying, John is the way preparer. This was a promise of God. And the one whose way John prepared is the one who's here in front of you right now. It was to wake people up to the who Jesus is. And those who, uh, sometimes simple faith believes that God is good and that he loves in an unconditional and would never hurt us. Simple faith remembers that we don't have, always have the big picture. And one day soon we'll stand in heaven. Then we'll know the answers. But in this life there will be answers we don't know. We don't understand. We don't know why God lets evils happen in our school. We're going to work our best to stop it, but it happens. But we do know he redeemed us, and he saved us, and he's the one who already came as a baby born in Jerusalem, and he's the one who will come again to judge. He promises that, and he'll fulfill that. On this Sunday, rejoice. In case you missed it, What do we say again? Rejoice. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses human understanding, keep your heart and your minds through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.